We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Work, family, friends, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for an ice-cold Coors Light, the beer that's made to chill. Listen, there's a lot going on in Green Bay right now, and I feel like we could all use a moment to chill with a Coors Light. See, Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Perfect for a moment to unwind. Coors Light is what I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in their all-new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. Twenty minutes a day, three hundred sixty-five days a year. This is the Pack a Day podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome into episode four hundred and sixty-seven of the Pack a Day podcast. My name is Andy Herman. I am a writer and editor for Packer Report. Of course, you can always follow me on Twitter at Andy Herman NFL. My guest today to discuss the Packers' 26-11 loss to the Los Angeles Chargers is Jake Morley. Jake is a writer for Packer Report as well. He is also a draft analyst for Cheesehead TV and Arrowhead Pride. He's, of course, one of our very own here on the Packaday podcast. Jake, welcome to this post-game edition of the show. I appreciate you coming on. Yeah, Andy, uh, been doing a lot of Packaday podcasts. This is my first post-day our post-game Packaday podcast episode, so it might be my fault, man. It, we could, uh, we might be, might be my last if this is, uh, <laughs> if this continues. Yeah, but uh, yeah, thanks for yeah. having me. No worries. Yeah, we planned it ahead of time, and uh, this will be your last time on the podcast. This is your official pink slip. Uh, no, I appreciate you coming on. Of course, not a lot of great stuff to discuss coming off a 26-11 to loss, a game where just about everything went wrong. But before we jump into the minutia and some of the big details, I just want to get your gut reaction and what kind of went wrong in this game. Well, <laughs> the, it, we were talking about this off air, and honestly, it's – it 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 just seemed like they were checked out. I was checked out. And as a fan, when you can visibly see and feel that, that's not good. You know, that's not a good sign. And it just it was a weird, just a weird one. It's a weird game, and I'm not going to make excuses for this team at all. 
Um, but one excuse I'm going to throw out there is, uh, you know, this is an unfamiliar opponent. This is a West Coast team, and they played in a stadium that was 30,000, you know, all that stuff that was written beforehand. You know, and then you throw in their daylight savings time that j- to really throw off your schedule. Uh, it just was – it was a weird game, weird week, and – you know, one thing I, I did want to touch on is I'm kind of talking about this and it's coming to me is, you know, playing in those small stadiums can be weird. It, it really can. I, you know, I went to college with some guys that played high school football in Texas and they're used to playing in front of 50, 60,000 people on Friday nights. And um, I went to a small school. And so Saturday afternoons we had maybe, you know, five, 600 people in the, in the stands and talking to those guys just about the difference you know, and how you need to get yourself up a different way when the crowd is a little bit different. Now, I'm not, I'm saying, I'm not making, like, again, I'm not making excuses. These guys are professionals. That should not be an issue. Uh, but when you're, when you're kind of grasping at straws for a 7-1 and team to come in and just completely lay lay an egg like that, uh, you, you got to look at something, and I don't know what it was, but um, – a lot of self self inflicted injury or wounds as well uh, to start this game and yeah I think it just they never really got their traction they never really could take a step forward I don't know Andy what what were your gut reactions for this 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 one this game yeah. we watched today there were there were quite a few there was uh, certainly some uh, different emotions that were going on through the course of this game like you said you you start with kind of the different things and Aaron Rodgers kind of laid this out at the end and said yeah some of these things existed but at the end of the day they're just excuses and I kind of agree with them whether it was the daylight savings time playing on the road playing all the way on the west coast maybe they needed a buy maybe they're you know just in need of some of that rest maybe they started listening to you know, some of the buzz of how good they were being an unscouted opponent, you know, kind of having it be a home game, even though it's on the road, whether it's Pacific, whatever the case may be. Yeah, there was a lot of things going on. But like you said, uh, you know, at the end of the day, these are professionals. There's no excuses here. Uh, and it's one thing to get beat and, and to play competitive football. And at the end of the day, the other team just fired their best shot and, and you got beat at the end of the game. This was just a lethargic effort from beginning to end. Yeah, they had a little bit of a nice touchdown drive when pretty much garbage time hit, uh, you know, to, to get those eight points on the board at the end. But this was a this was laying an egg. This was the picture perfect definition of completely laying an egg and just not having the motivation to go out and and perform at your best. And I don't think there's any two ways around that. Um, I will say this, uh, you know, a couple other things. I didn't think. You know, if you watch Aaron Rodgers in a game like this, usually, I thought this was an interesting game even from him where if little things go wrong in games like this, you usually see him pretty pissed off. He's a guy that wears his emotions on his sleeve. And I kind of got the feel throughout the game that maybe he knew that this offense was just about to take off because he never really, at least I didn't see some of those usual frustrations come through when things do go like this. Even he didn't necessarily have that that fire and energy, and 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 maybe that's a good thing. You know, sometimes those things get uh, extra evaluated, and whether they should or shouldn't be, I don't know. But he, he didn't even have a little bit of that, you know, spit and vinegar to him today. So it just all the way around, I, I don't know exactly what it was. I wish I could put my finger on it, but there there was a lot not to like about the energy in this game. Yeah. I think you hit the nail on the head there, too, and that's a great point to bring up about Rodgers. That's something I didn't even notice, but he absolutely is a guy that we see get fiery, and it, it just it wasn't there for him, anyone, and it, start, it starts with him, too. So 
uh, I think he even kind of talked about that, and you, you mentioned that his, you know, the preparation just wasn't good enough this week. So, you know, hopefully that's it. And you always look at things as trends in the NFL or anomalies. And I, and I just think, you know, this with one game, it, it was bad. This is a loss you're going to remember for a while. And I, and it, I think hopefully because there was not going to be a ton of losses under the Matt Lafleur era. Uh, you know, for these first few years, especially with Aaron Rodgers. But this is one that's going to stick out for – it's not often you have a team playing really good football and just come in and, and suck and just be just like, just be terrible. I mean, they, they looked awful. And I think a lot of people are upset on Twitter and on the interwebs and all that stuff. But, man, they, they, they have a little bit of a, of a legitimate gripe that, yeah, they didn't, they didn't show up to play professional football today. No, I will say, uh, you know, this is their second loss of the season. It is a little bit interesting to me. I think that the two losses that they had were against two completely desperate teams. And maybe the, the Philadelphia game it was maybe a little bit too early to be desperate. But, you know, going into that game, Philly really absolutely needed that win, certainly much more than Green Bay did. And I think the same thing goes for L.A. today. The L.A. absolutely had to have a win. That was a home game for them. I know it didn't seem like it, but uh, a loss there – Maybe it doesn't end their season, but it certainly puts at least one nail uh, into that coffin for sure. And yeah. uh, I, I think both of those teams needed wins more than Green Bay did, and I think in both of those games it showed. Um, I think this was one of the first games all year where this was absolutely the first game of the year where this team seemed to just lack that leadership. And there was nobody that necessarily, you know, stepped up to the plate when things were going bad. You know, whether it was Rodgers or Adams or one of the leaders on offense, Bakhtiari, Bulaga, whether it was one of the Smiths on defense or Adrian Amos, whether it was the coaching staff, you know, there was just no answer to that lack of energy. So that was something that stood out to me today. I agree with you in the fact that, you know, if this is, just, if this is one game and it's an anomaly and they don't have anything like this the rest of the season, you forget about it pretty easily. Uh, But there is a striking, uh, you know, impact that this game has, you know, at this moment because we're so fresh off of it. And then the one other thing I'll note is that I thought, you know, Green Bay and, and, and the coaching staff always talks, of course, and every coaching staff talks about playing complimentary football. This was the most uncomplimentary football game you could possibly have in every phase. The offense did not play well, uh, of course, and they set their defense up in a lot of horrible situations. So you just look at starting that game, right? The Green Bay Packers have the opportunity to decide if they want to kick or receive. In hindsight, they probably should have received, but they kick off, and uh, the Chargers get the ball first. And they go down, and they have an eight-plus-minute drive. And I think Green Bay's offense just sat on the sidelines. And and I think that's a very frustrating situation to be in for the offense as over half the quarter's gone before they even get on the field. They're, they're probably, you know, the warm-ups were well past at that point. They're just getting ice cold on the sidelines. So eight-and-a-half-minute drive. They go down and score a field goal. Green Bay responds by basically, what, going three and out and giving the ball right back uh, to the, the Chargers. So that was... Wasn't great, and then the Chargers get points again. Green Bay basically gives the ball right back when they needed a play from their special teams. You have the block punt, you have the offsides by Tony Brown, uh, you have the offsides on the kickoff by Tony Brown. Whatever it was, nobody was helping anyone. Nobody was helping to, to step up and make a play. And I think that was the biggest takeaway for me is, yeah, there were there were things that went wrong in all phases of the game, but not one phase stepped up and said, you know what, we're going to go out and win this game or make a play. That was what was so frustrating to me. 
And, you know, you got to tip your cap to the Chargers, though, too. Like, this is a team that I think a lot of us underestimated coming into this game. Uh, this was the team at the beginning of the year that was picked to compete in the AFC West with the Kansas City Chiefs and really the AFC in general. And it's not like they got less talented. Like, they got dudes. They got guys everywhere. Um, a very talented football team. You know, the Ingram and Ingram and Bosa were you – know, uh, Bakhtiari said earlier this week that if you let these guys wreck games, they will. And they did. That's exactly what happened the first, you know, three quarters of this game. They got into third and long positions, and they absolutely just destroyed whoever was lined up against them. Uh, but then you got on offense, too. Like, Phillip Rivers is a Hall of Fame quarterback. Keenan Allen is a very good wide receiver, maybe one of the top – probably a top ten receiver. Mike Williams is a good player. Hunter Henry is a good player. Melvin Gordon picked this week to really look like his, you know, his – his, he's back on track. You know, he's got some traction on those wheels. And Austin Eckler's, you know, he's a problem in the in the passing game like Aaron Jones is for a lot of teams that they play. So, you know, it's not like they 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 played. I mean, they, I, the Chargers are weird. So I was talking to some of my buddies that are big Chiefs fans, and they're, that's what they're kind of talking about with this Chargers team is they're always talented. They always have stretches where they play bad, but then they'll always have a few games a year or a stretch where they just look out of this world and they just look like the team that they should be. You know, and then you pair that with, you know, they just fired Ken Wisenhunt, too. And you you look at Philip Rivers' comments this last week were very somber, you know, very uh, very much, you know, look at, looking back on it and saying, you know, that's on us. That is on us that we got this guy fired because we were not executing enough. So, you know, Philip Rivers is the guy that serves that drink over there. That's got to be the mindset that most of those guys had. You know, and they get this young offensive coordinator coming in. Is Scott? Uh, I don't. Wait, well, he's 34 years old, ex-quarterback at UNLV, and I can't remember his name. I wrote about him this week. Uh, but you know, they're coming out and they're playing for this for this guy. They established the run, which is something that they weren't able to do all year. You know, they showed that stat that basically said, you know, they had more yards rushing today than they did the entire month of October, which is bizarre. That's crazy. You know, that's you know, good for them. But it does make you worry about, you know, this Packers defense is trending. That, I don't think that's really an anomaly. I think that uh, they've been exposed a little bit in some areas. You know, if they're not taking the ball away or putting massive pressure on the quarterback, then you, you can do exactly what Phillip Rivers did to them today, and he just carved them up, which he always kind of has. Uh, Russell Okung is back. You know, this is his second game back. They did a great job against the Bears last week. Uh, they only allowed eight pressures and one sack. I don't know what the exact numbers are. Uh, this week, but, you know, there were times that Phillip Rivers had, you know, just a massive amount of time to, to throw the ball um, behind his offensive line. Be, you know, when you expect this Packers defense to really get after him, but they just, they didn't. So, uh, so there, here, here we sit talking about it. Yeah, and I think you hit on a lot of great points there, and especially with Wisenhunt being fired, I think that that definitely played a part. I think the the Chargers were in a position where they needed to rally. Like I said, they were desperate. Uh, I think the coaching move was the right move at the right time, and uh, I think Green Bay probably ran into the wrong team at the wrong time. But again, I think the biggest thing is is they just completely, completely did not show up, and that was what was so concerning in this game. Let's move over to the offense as a whole and kind of break it down just a little bit more. Uh, the, the offense struggled, no two ways about it. 49 plays, 184 total yards of offense, which is crazy. 11 points, 139 yards passing, 45 yards rushing. Only had eight total drives in the game and lost time of possession by almost 12 minutes. 
I thought this really started with the offensive line. You hit on it earlier with Bosa and Ingram. I thought they set the tone early. Uh, the, the Chargers played a lot of seven-man coverage and just let their defensive line do the do the work, do the heavy lifting up front. And Bosa and Ingram set the tone early, and, and they you know Packers were never really able to recover. Yeah, and you look at – and your grades have kind of reflected this this year as well. Bulaga's really been the better of the two guard – or, ta- excuse me, tackles this year. Uh, Bakhtiari has been – I feel like he's been above average. He's been good, but he has not been an elite player this year, and I think that was highlighted today where you saw, uh, especially on that first sack that he gave up. That I have not seen David Bakhtiari get beat like that in a long time where he could hardly – he hardly even got his hands on the guy. Um, and then you see, you know, and you got Ben Bulaga out there, of course, with the right ring finger injury. Uh, what a terrible matchup, you know, coming in, playing injured, trying to work your way through that, and then you have an all-pro um, up against you. You know, and they did a great job moving those guys around, too, I thought. Uh, there were times where Ingram and Bosa were both lined up on the right side, and they just would overload it, and the Packers didn't have an answer for it. Uh, so you got to tip your cap to – um, to what say? Or, you know, sorry, uh, Los Angeles did today on the defensive side of the ball. Um, you know, it's it's hard to really, and that, that that's what's weird about this game, Andy. Too is it's hard to say where did the Packers' offense struggle. You know, they they had a hard time establishing the run, but they kind of gave up on it pretty quickly. I thought, and and then on as far as throwing the ball, you know, Rogers had went into like that last drive with under 80 yards passing, and it did it just didn't feel like it was really on him. It just he just didn't have any time to throw the ball. Like it just was every time he dropped back, he just had pressure immediately in his lap. And so, um, as far as you know, the offensive struggles go. That I mean, I said it, and Bakhtiari said it. Like they they wrecked the game. They they absolutely wrecked this offensive game plan. I think uh, did Lafleur even said at the in his presser that they just weren't even really able to get into their press or into their uh, into their offensive game plan today. No, they were not, and. You know, if you look at kind of what happened earlier in that, you know, in that game, they got beat by uh, Bosa and Ingram early. Then they kind of came back after those first couple tri- drives and tried to establish the run. Alan Lazard had the, uh, you know, I was it blocking in the back, I want to say, penalty that kind of backed them up after they kind of uh, were close to or either picked up a first down. And everything was disjointed. There were the penalties. There were the sacks. Not able to start the running game. Aaron Rodgers didn't have time. He missed a couple throws. I thought there was the throw down the field to Jake Kumaro that Kumaro had the opportunity to come up with and just couldn't. I'm excited to, I don't know if excited is the wrong word. I'm, I'm looking forward to going back and re-watching that play and seeing kind of the all 22 to see what happened on that a little bit. But it looked at first glance like he maybe had an opportunity to come up with that ball. Uh, but nobody made a play. And that that's the theme for the game for me is that whether it was on offense, whether it was on defense, whether it was on special teams, somebody at some point needed to step up, make a play. This was a 9 nothing, 12 nothing game for a huge huge chunk of this game, even when everything was going wrong, Green Bay from a score standpoint was, uh, everything was still ahead of them. They still could have achieved everything that they wanted to and got out of there with a win, and they continued to make mistakes and could not make a play, and, and offensively that was definitely the case, and as you mentioned, never got into a game plan, and it didn't look like uh, the, you know, the game plan that they had at the onset was, was one that was necessarily going to be successful. It, they just never got into anything, and it was, it was a struggle to watch to say the least. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, defensive side of the ball, though, uh, what was better, right? I mean, they they really kept them in the game. If the Packers' offense is is firing on all cylinders, this is a game you look at and say, "Wow, the the defense did a great job." They, you know, they they bend, but they would tighten up in the red zone and they force uh, 
you know, four, four, what was it? The first four scores were field goals, right? They, yep. it was, yeah. So, I mean, that's something you look at and you go into essentially the third, fourth quarter with the team only giving up 12 points. You, you take that every single week with this offense. That, this offense should be able to score more than 12 points throughout the course of three quarters. So, um, as far as the defense, you know, I thought they played a good job, but Andy, what do you think? I mean, what did you see when you were watching that defense live today? Yeah, I'm split on this one, and, uh, you know, the first thing I will say is of the three units, I think the defense gets the biggest pass because I do think a lot was asked to them. You know, on the, the two touchdowns, you know, you take a look at those two. Uh, the, the one touchdown came directly after the blocked punt. That was a 27-yard drive. That is much more on the special teams, in my opinion, than that is on the defense. And then you have the other touchdown where they actually got off the field and held them to a field goal, but the special teams and Tony Brown offsides gives them the opportunity at fourth and one. Now the defense has an opportunity again, but that that really was almost the effect of the special teams play uh, to end that drive and, and come away with the additional four points there than it was the defense as well. So uh, I can make a, a very strong argument that uh, that this was much more on the offense and the special teams and that there's certainly a, a huge deal of accident forgiveness here uh, for the defense because of some of the situations that they were put in. However, what I will also say is, is first of all, again, uh, nobody stepped up and made a play. No interceptions, no forced fumbles, no turnovers, no anything. You had a couple sacks, but those, both of those were more to end drives where they still came away with points than they were to get the team off the field. They only forced one punt on the entire day. Uh, that that was their their one time where they they got the you know really the Chargers offense off the field. Only one time the entire day. You go down the the list of drives for the Chargers. 15 plays, 84 yards in a field goal. Five plays, 37 yards, field goal. They then forced the punt on the next drive after only a five-play, 28-yard drive, so that was the one time they got off the field. Then 13 plays, 76 yards, field goal. Eight plays, 52 yards, field goal. Six plays, 27 yards, touchdown. Ten plays, 75 yards, touchdown. Nine plays, 39 yards, missed field goal. Should have been another three points probably on the board there. And then they kneeled down to end the game at the end. So in those drives, they had the one uh, time where they held the other team to a punt. Every other drive, they either did or should have given up points. So uh, I do struggle to say that the defense played well. Um, I also think that some of those drives, for example, the, the, the drive to open the game, 15 plays, 84 yards, that took eight minutes and four seconds off the clock. So, yes, you know, there's a, a level that you want to say kudos, good job for only allowing three points and getting off the field, but your offense is, is sitting over there. That, that's over, you know, an eighth of the entire game. You know, that's over a half of a quarter that you just allowed on the first drive where Aaron Rodgers in the offense is just sitting on the other side of the field waiting to get out there. So, a part of me does agree with you and says, yeah, the, the defense played okay, and and certainly if, if the special teams and the offense performs up to their capabilities, I, I think this maybe would have been a winning performance for the defense, but every game has its own identity, and today the defense didn't necessarily help uh, to swing the momentum at any point in time and continue to give up yards and points save for just one drive and not a single three and out either, which I think was an issue. So uh, that's kind of my biggest takeaway from a defensive side of the ball. Yeah, and I guess two things, and I agree with you, um, but you look at anytime Aaron Rodgers only has a chance, 18 chances and a half, so 18 offensive plays, uh, you can definitely look at the defense and say not good enough, you know. Yep. And uh, and I thought I thought J- Jair Alexander's attempt at that interception, uh, I think that was towards the end of the half. Even 
it, it looked like it would have had to be an, an, a pretty nice play to make, and that one will be interesting when the coaches and all 22 film comes out because I'd be willing to bet he just he didn't locate the ball quick enough because if he would have, I think he could have been camping under that thing. And I, I just thought, wow, what a – what a microcosm of this first half for the, just the Packers in general. Like, here is an opportunity to change the course of the game, but you can't, you just, nobody, like you said earlier, nobody steps up. You know, Jair had a great chance to take some, you know, take points off the board there at the end of the half, and he just couldn't do it. And, you know, he might have lost the ball in the sun or whatever. I'm not saying that one play changed the course of anything. I'm just saying that was just kind of one of those Times when you roll your eyes and just kind of go, well, it's going to be one of those days, I suppose. Um, <laughs> and then, you know, another another play, too, that now that I'm thinking of it, too, was the Fackrell sack. Yeah. Where the old man Rivers is – how does – you know, he's he, he's Rivers. He's a Hall of Fame quarterback. Like, I, I actually really love watching Phillip Rivers because he does stuff like this, just not against my team. Uh, but when he got that ball off on that little shovel pass or whatever it was, when he was halfway to the ground, like – are you kidding me? Like, that's just it, – it's just, again, it's one of those things. It's like, okay, this, here we are. This is going to be one of, one of those deals today. Um, but I have, a, I have a question for you, Andy. Yeah. And this might be – I'm trying not to be a prisoner of the moment here. But this – when you talk about special teams, special teams has been an issue not just today. It, it really kind of – it really has been an issue all year. And you kind of wait and you kind of brush it aside because they're winning – and you kind of go, okay, well, you know, they'll get better, whatever. Uh, it hasn't really cost us yet. It cost them big time today. You know, it could have cost them in the past. You know, last week uh, with Darius Shepard not feeling that ball at the 15. Could have cost them, really could have cost them the game there. The offense bailed them out. Uh, again, Darius Shepard earlier in the season when he, you know, really had two turnovers, one of them uh, when he muffed the punt. But then, you know, their kick return game has been atrocious. Teams are daring them just daring them to, to, to return the ball on a kickoff, which is wild. No, I, I would be willing to bet the Packers are the only team in the NFL that teams are kicking short to. Uh, I have no idea if that's true. <laughs> but <laughs> I, I, would, I, would guess, I would guess they are because to me that's wild. Um, Sean Meninga, first-year first year special teams coach. You see the Chargers do it last week when they, they fired their, you know, Ken Wisenhunt, who, who had been there for a while. And they wanted to change. Could we see a potential switch switch there with Sean Meninga? How how hot is his seat? Would you say? Uh, it's a good question, uh, and I I think his seat is probably fairly safe at the moment, at least through the end of the season for sure. And I think things would have to get significantly worse uh, before there was uh, a major upheaval. I, I will say this. Um, you know, I think for the most part, and I'd have to go look, you know, go back and look, I think for the most part, you know, J.K. Scott and the punt coverage has been good, save for the, the blocked punt today. I think, you know, the, the you know, kickoffs have mostly been good, but I'd have to go back and look at it. And I think for the most part, that's not a major aspect of, of most games that are the kickoffs anymore. And I do think as well that, uh, you know, for the most part, the, the hold, the, the snap, the kick from, from Crosby and company has been solid as well. I think the big issue has been the return units, which, again, kick return isn't uh, really a huge factor in most games anymore. And then it's the punt return team that is also a major issue. But I, I think 
up until this week and maybe the couple weeks where Traymond Smith's been on the roster, and he's really more of a kick returner than I think he is a punt returner, I don't think that they've necessarily given uh, him a, a ton of players to necessarily be successful in that regard as well. And really the best player they had on the roster, they traded away in Trevor Davis. So I think there's... He probably still has some time to bounce back if things get significantly worse. Uh, then, then yeah, I think maybe some questions reside there. I will say this. I think it's fairly safe to say at this point, even after an insanely tough loss today, that Green Bay hit a massive chunk of their offseason completely out of the park. And that's with hiring Matt LaFleur as head coach. Um, you know, I think in general, this coaching staff as a whole has been fantastic. You know, you signed four free agents and you hit on all four of them is an incredible plus. Not only hit on them, hit on them, but Preston and Zadarius Smith have been well exceeding expectations as edge rushers for this team. So I think you hit on that. You know, in a draft, you're getting Darnell Savage and Elton Jenkins uh, with immediate impacts. Rashawn Gary, probably not the impact you would want yet. However, he's starting to really make uh, his way as a run defender so far while his pass rush still hopefully develops. I think they hit a massive chunk of this offseason out of the park, but there was the one situation where Darren Rizzi came to town. Uh, he is the well-known special teams coach that came from the Dolphins, and he the, he came in for an interview, and he was kind of their top choice, and it sounded like, uh, from all reports, that Green Bay kind of lowballed him a little bit, and he left town pretty upset, not even wanting to really discuss things anymore, and ended up signing with the, the Saints to be their special teams coach. Now, I am not going to pretend that I know where the Saints rank as a special teams unit right now, so maybe it's awful, maybe it's great, I'm not sure, but you maybe could potentially go back to that one you know, coaching move in the offseason that has not paid off so far. The one move that's maybe uh, you know, coming a little bit under question is that Sean Menenga hire. He came from the college ranks at Vanderbilt. Darren Rizzi was a well-known, well-thought-of, well-respected special teams coach that they had the opportunity to get, and they kind of uh, you know, wet the bed, for lack of a better term, and trying to get him on the team. So that could be the one thing that, that lets them down from this spectacular offseason. Yeah, I bet I don't know either, but I'd be willing to bet Rizzi's probably ranked higher than uh, Meninga. That's just yeah, that's. I think guess. that's probably true. <laughs> uh, what what else we got here? So, oh, big big news coming into the game, Andy was the the return of Devonte Adams. Right, uh, got that toe injury. He was back, but uh, what? <laughs> and this is gonna this is gonna drive me nuts. Oh, guys, <laughs> I, I, let's just di- let's just dive into this because you it's know that you know the narrative this week is going to be, well, they were 4-0 without him. Here he comes back, and they score really three points in a game. Uh, so I, I'll start the bus. I think they need to trade Devontae Adams, right? They need to just get <laughs> the rid of him. trade deadline's passed. You know, you know, <laughs> if, cut them. If, they had, if they had a week left in the trade deadline, then it would be yeah. obvious that they need yeah, to they What could they get for Devontae in the offseason? <laughs> yeah, right. Well, yeah, let's, let's dedicate the rest of the podcast to that. No, I, it, you know, and I think you bring up a good point, and, and that's certainly going to be a piece of the narrative. And, and I actually tweeted it out just before the podcast started. I'm not a believer in this narrative in any stretch of the imagination, but three and two with Devontae Adams, 19.2 points per game in those five games that he's played in. Four and zero oh without Devontae Adams. 32.5 points in the games without Devontae Adams. So 13.3 more points per game uh, without Devontae Adams, which is, is a staggering number. And this isn't like it was one or two weeks. It was four weeks without Devontae, five weeks with him. And there is 
I think at least uh, a noteworthy conversation here. Not that this team is worse with Devontae Adams. That's ridiculous. They need Devontae Adams. They are better with Devontae Adams. He is a special player. But it is worth noting and worth saying that with Devontae Adams in the lineup so far, uh, this team hasn't exactly been firing on all cylinders, and they haven't found a rhythm with him yet. That will come. He will help. But so far through the five games that he's been on the field with them this season, that rhythm has not existed. I do think that is more just a a happenstance and a victim of the games that they played. They played some better defenses for sure in those games. Uh, you go back to that Bears game, and I think the Chargers really balled out on defense this week. And this 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 week was probably more due to a lot of the offensive line and things like that than, than anything that Devontae was doing. Uh, but it, it is an interesting narrative nonetheless, and, and I'm not trying to feed trolls, and I'm not saying that this is a legit thing where this team is better with Devontae, but uh, the offense hasn't found that groove quite yet with him in the lineup. Right, and and to clarify, I'm I'm with you. No, yeah, no, I know that. I know. Devontae, that. And oh, just for the listeners too, like Devontae Adams, it needs to be on this team for the, for them to get to where they want to go. Uh, but I, I agree with you in the sense of too, you know, those first three games uh, where he played or four or whatever it was, you know, that was kind of the infancy stage of this offense, and I feel like. Once he got hurt, and I don't think it has anything to do with him being hurt. I just think it has everything to do with uh, this offense uh, starting to kind of just take off, you know, the other 10 guys that are out there kind of really starting to know, you know, what their role is and stuff like that. But now that he's back, it's it kind of reshuffles things, right, where these guys kind of have to refigure out, now what's my role, uh, what, can, what do I need to do this week to make, you know, my team the best team it can be. And so I, I think – you know, I don't think you can really put any of this on Devontae. I, th- I still think he was the best receiver on the on the field today. Um, but to kind of go with what you were talking about, yes, this team now is going to have to not refine itself. That's that's way too strong. Um, but just kind of just kind of regroup uh, with Devontae, move forward, and now their ceiling is you know so much higher once he is on the same page as everyone else. And that's not to say he isn't. You know, next week they could come out, play the Panthers, and, you know, blow the doors off of them. And this narrative is going to look so stupid because it <laughs> really it is. Um, so hopefully that's just the case, and this is something we'll have to endure, endure for a week. And, uh, and next, <laughs> next week it'll be Devontae and two other guys with 100-yard games or whatever. Yeah, and I want to go over a couple plays where I think Devontae is really going to end up paying some massive dividends as this year goes on. The first play uh, was a play last week, uh, and uh, they were in the red zone, and uh, I'm forgetting now who they played. They played the Chiefs last week. So, yeah, it was against the Chiefs. They're in the red zone, and Green Bay spread out. I think it was four wides. Uh, I'm just kind of pulling this off up off the top of my memory here, but they were, I believe, four wides, and basically Kansas City played man across the board. They kind of played a, a hovering middle linebacker kind of in the middle of the field, but this was just four players, basically one-on-one on the outside, a linebacker kind of skating in the middle of the field just a little bit, and everyone else was blitzing. Everyone else was coming after Rodgers and that is not something that if you have Devontae Adams on the field that a defense is going to feel comfortable doing and and Green Bay did not convert on that play they ended up having to kick a field goal if memory serves and uh, or at least in that specific play they got off the field 
And uh, that that is a play where, again, if, if Devontae Adams is on the field, the, the defensive coordinator probably doesn't even attempt that coverage. Fast forward to this week, it was a third down, and uh, Devontae Adams gets a little bit of an ISO route, and he gets a one-on-one, and he wins his route easily, and they're able to pick up a massively easy first down just because Devontae Adams wins that one-on-one. Now, I do think there's an extent where for a good chunk of the game, I do think you just have to run your offense and run your game plan. And I, to be fair, I think that's what Matt LaFleur was trying to do today. It just never got going. There was never any rhythm. The offensive line got blown up. There was the penalties. And then they were out of every, you know, out of every rhythm and out of every play call that they wanted to get to to begin with. But I think if you play within that offense and then set up some of those ISO routes, some of those one-on-ones, I think that is where Devonta Adams can pay such dividends down the line. We didn't get to see it today other than that one first down, but that's the type of impact that he can have. And it's just going to be figuring out, like you said, how you distribute the ball and spread it around so that it can continue to feed everyone and still make this offense click the way that it has the course of the last four weeks. Yeah, I'm with you. All right. So let us jump then to the maybe maybe the one win of this entire week, and that's as far as we know no injuries. So I always talk about there being basically two games every week. There's the game and then there's the, the injury game. You know, it, you maybe you won the game, but, you know, you kind of have to look back and say, all right, what did we pay for uh, to get that win? Who, who do we lose for the foreseeable future to, to come away with that win? Yes, it was a loss today on the, the 0-1 front. They, they lost the game overall, but it seems from an attrition standpoint, they got out of their clean, which long-term, at the point that they're at right now, uh, you know, maybe I'm just being a super homer here, but at least the, and the, for the time being, that may end up being more important if they could get out of there clean with no no injuries. Yeah, the only thing that's popping in my head is Kevin King, whatever was going on with him today. You know, he was splitting reps with Tony Brown. I don't think that was a new injury. I think that was, he. you know, he's had the growing for a while now. But, I, and I don't know if that's just Tony Brown's healthy, so they're trying to get him more reps too. But I think that's definitely something to – and that probably will be the thing to monitor this week, which is positive. You know, if, if that's the only thing you're coming out of this game with, that's that's a good thing. And it sounded like after the game that King mentioned that he was on a snap count. Uh, he said that it, he wasn't going to, uh, you know, say exactly what happened, but he said that he got out of the game without re-aggravating any injuries and got out of the game healthy. So uh, he was on a specific snap count due to an injury that maybe flared up over the course of the week. I thought Green Bay used him wisely. You know, you saw a lot of early downs and early in the game where Tony Brown got plays, and if there was, you know, red zone or big third down plays, uh, you saw a lot of Kevin King in those specific situations. So I thought they were wise with how they used him. Uh, and I, I'm one of the players that I'm most intrigued actually to go back and watch. I know he blew a couple of plays on special teams to say the least, but at first glance it looked like Tony Brown held up really well in coverage. So that might be the one win defensively this week of a player who actually played well in this game. Uh, but I, like I said, I'm gonna be excited to go back and see how he specifically played to see how he held up in coverage. I don't know if you saw anything different at all. Yeah, I, 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 I didn't notice him much in coverage. That's good. What's good. And uh, the other guy that I that I would be I'll be interested to kind of go back and watch clo- more closely is uh, Chandon Sullivan. I thought, you know, he's a guy that I I think he, there's a, there's something there with it, with him. And uh, you know, he got hurdled. <laughs> I saw that, yes, but uh, uh, but I, I don't know. We'll see. And I, I say that, and your grades will probably come out and have him at like a negative five or something. But um, I still. You know, I still I, I liked what I saw out of him. I just like the way he moves on the field, and I like what he brings to this team. So, uh, yeah, that's 
<laughs> that's kind of sad. Talk, trying to talk about positive takeaways and talking about, well, Tony Brown didn't show up very much and, well, Chandon Sullivan got hurdled once, but I think he played okay. <laughs> yeah, and that's literally what it was. There, it was it was really tough to to go out and figure out who played well. I think we can just fast forward to that at this point. Who was who was your MVP of this game? This was this is a tough one. Gosh, oh man, oh, uh, I mean, Jamal Williams, give it to give it to him, right? Because he had had some nice plays, some nice runs. He, you know, he was part of that three three catch connection that ended to the one touchdown to the game. The other guy I give it to is, is my guy Chandon Sullivan because he almost caused a fumble, but his yeah, knee was almost. down. So, <laughs> so there's that. I'm going to go with Mason Crosby because he's the only one that I know didn't screw something up. And I feel confident in saying that he had one 50 yard plus field goal attempt uh, to try to get Green Bay on the board in some momentum. And he came through with that 50 plus yard field goal attempt. As far as I could tell, his kickoffs were, were solid throughout the game. So there is my MVP of this game, the one and only Mason Crosby, because like I said, he's the one player that I can point to at the moment and say he didn't screw anything up. Yeah, that's that is fair. So, congratulations, Mason. That's a good one. Good pick. I'll send him a, an award in the mail of some yeah, sort. Sure. Oh, he's <laughs> listening. So, hey, good game, Mason. Yeah, thanks for listening, Mason. Yeah. We appreciate it. Any other positive takeaways from this that you had at all? Uh, it's over. It's done. Yeah, I, I think the one for me is that you. At some point, you need to learn these lessons in season, and you know the lesson you you don't ever want to have to learn is that you have to show up to every game and actually to order play you know in order to play well and to win it. So I don't think that should ever be a lesson that you need to take away. Uh, but I, I do think sometimes it's better to get your comeuppance in the regular season. And I, I think that sometimes these can be eye-openers and can teach younger players how you have to prepare for every single game, that you can't take anything for granted just because it's a team with the worst record and you're playing at a stadium that's basically a home crowd, even on the road, probably a little bit of a fun, warm atmosphere. You have to take every game incredibly seriously in order to come away with wins. You have to play it like it's a playoff game, and if you don't, you can get you know your butt handed to you on any given Sunday, and that's what happened today. So I'm happy that they learned this lesson now. I'm hopeful that they can learn from it. They had one bout of uh, you know adversity that they had over you know had to overcome so far this season. That was the loss against the Eagles with a significant injury to Devontae Adams, and that was the first time in Lafleur's era that they had to kind of bounce back and see how they were going to respond to that first time losing and and really losing a major player to injury. And how did they respond? They responded by going undefeated in the month of October, and their offense was running on all cylinders. They get punched in the mouth again today uh, by a good Chargers team that wasn't playing up to their standard prior to this game. They played up to their standard today. Now, how do they respond? They got two tough NFC teams coming. They got the Panthers. They got the 49ers. There's, of course, that bye week in the middle that I think they sorely need, but I'm excited to see how they're going to respond from adversity. I think you can learn a lot more about a team and its character on how they bounce back from a loss than you can from how they continue to you know string together wins. So uh, I'm excited to see how that happens. And the one other thing that I will say is that as a positive, the best game that you can possibly lose is a road AFC team uh, against a road AFC team. They matter less than the tiebreakers. You keep the wins in the AFC instead of the NFC. It's not a division game. It's not a conference game. So if you are going to lose one game on the year, you want it to be a road AFC team. So at least they chose correctly in the game that they you know didn't want to try their hardest in. 
Yeah, and you took the words out of my mouth. I was going to piggyback off of you and, and say just that. You know, this was if those, if this is a game to learn lessons, and I think you're right. You know, you never want to have to learn that lesson, and it's never a good thing. It's never really a positive thing to lose, but lessons can be learned from it. Um, and this is a good way to learn it from a team that really. It, it it's not gonna you know a loss is a loss in the record book you know that two behind their record now is not as good of as a one clearly uh, but like you said tiebreakers and things like that really aren't gonna hurt you with this so um, yeah so uh, I think moving forward this is something that they should learn from and I, I hope you know next week we'll get to see another side of Matt Lafleur that. You know, we're learning with him as a, as a rookie head coach and how he responds to stuff. He's had, you know, every type of, of you know, really every type of victory. You know, he's had close games. He's had blowouts. He's lost a close game, and now he's lost the blowout. So this is really the only, only thing left that we haven't seen him respond to. So uh, it'll be interesting next week. they got a tough stretch coming up. Yeah, they sure do, and I definitely think that they can use that bye week. Uh, you know, there's a lot of panic, as you mentioned, across Packers Twitter and Packers Nation. Uh, a lot of arms in the air, a lot of frustration. Uh, you could you could kind of sense it today. Is there anything at this point that you're panicked about? Anything that you have a level of concern with that at this point, maybe it wasn't just this week, but that you've seen that is enough cause of concern at this point where you're like, I'm not sure that this is going to get better. Uh, pan- panic? No, there's nothing to panic about with this team. Uh, one thing that concerns me is just how this defense really does live and die off sacks and turnovers. It's not a team, especially against good quarterbacks. I think good quarterbacks are going to be able to do uh, kind of what they want against this defense if they can take care of the ball. That concerns me. Uh, but if Aaron Rodgers is right and this offense is humming, then you know they should be in in any game. And one thing that if Packers fans didn't see this, uh, you know, Jason Wilde tweeted this out about an hour ago, and it's I think it's really good to hear. And it just goes like this. This is from Jason Wilde. 2018, Patriots lost 34-10 at home, or at Tennessee, last November 11th. That was Matt LaFleur's uh, Titans. Uh, 2016, Patriots lost 16-0 at home uh, to Buffalo. 2014, Patriots lost 41 41- to 14 at Kansas City. Uh, so you look at teams and as you know, good, bad, or indifferent, the Patriots are the golden standard of the NFL, and this stuff does happen. You know, this is such a week-to-week league. You never know what you're going to get week in and week out, and you already see it. You know, people love to do this stuff, and it always makes me cringe. You, you know, saying you know, like a good example would be, hey, the Packers beat the Chiefs last week and lost to the Chargers this week. So surely the Chargers are going to go out and beat the Chiefs by 50, you know, and that's just not true. It's not the case, and it is a week-to-week league, and, you know, this hopefully they can put behind them um, in, a, in a week from now, you know, a nice, a nice victory against the Carolina Panthers would put a lot of unrest at ease. So panic, no. I don't think there's anything to panic about. I think this team is in good hands. I think they've got good leadership in place, and I think uh, watching Matt LaFleur – uh, be able to respond to this is kind of what makes following these teams so much fun. You know, these storylines that you get to see and watch unfold. And I, I truly I, I truly believe in, in Matt LaFleur, and I think he's a really good coach, and I think he's been proven that week in and week out this season. And I think we're going to get to see, you know, a different side of him next week that we have not seen yet, and I think we're going to come away impressed. 
I think you're right. I think all of that's correct. And secretly, and this is just my, my theory on it, I don't think Bill Belichick ever likes losing. I actually do think that there's a part of him that uh, that almost wants to have a couple games like that or at least one game like that in season because he knows how much he can use those losses in regular season to motivate his team and to show them what not to do and what they need to do better in order to perform well in the postseason. Um, you see usually one or two games like that out of the Patriots each season. They're kind of going through one now, although literally as I, I say that, they just scored a touchdown. James White got in the end zone. They're losing right now to the Ravens 24-19 to as he just gets in the end zone, but uh, I actually think that he likes uh, a couple of those games through the course of the year, so he knows how to motivate his team and get them going going forward, and I think really good coaches can take moments like this and can use them for the betterment of their team. Even though it's things and it sucks right now, I think really great coaches know how to use these moments, and we're like you said, we're going to find out a lot about Matt LaFleur. The one thing I will say, the the one concern, not panic, but the one concern that I have, and it kind of echoes off of yours a little bit, is is just the, the run defense in the middle of that defense as a whole. That continues to be a, a problem, and I, I see what Mike Pettin's doing there. I think he's willing to dare teams a little bit to try to run the ball and really dink and dunk their way down the field without making mistakes, and he's trying to limit big plays but they still continue to give up big plays, and they haven't really stopped necessarily anything. They have to find their identity on defensive of what it is that they want to take away and how they're going to win. And it can't just be, like you said, turnovers and sacks, because if you rely entirely upon those, there are going to be games where they don't come and you're going to lose because of it. So what do they want to be known for? Do they want to be known as a physical run-stopping defense? Are they going to be the defense that plays a bit more coverage and takes away some of those big plays? Um, I, I think right now their their MO is kind of that bend but don't break, which is okay and which can work. But um, th- there's some holes in this defense that need to be addressed, and I think they do need to find a little bit more of their identity. And the sooner that they can figure that out, whether it's this coming week or on the bye week, I, I think the better they are because right now the opposing offenses are just playing way too efficiently uh, you know, for them to be successful long term and when they're playing those better quarterbacks in the playoffs. Yeah, and you want to see panic? I'm kind of just scrolling through Twitter right now. Go to go to Brown's Twitter right oh, now. Geez. And our our old pal Jermaine Whitehead. I'm not gonna go because this is a family show. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. If you want to go, if you want to see panic and you want to see uh, a team blowing up, go go check that out. And uh, count your blessings that we have <laughs> that you're a Packers fan. Yeah, and if you're wondering maybe why Jermaine Whitehead was released kind of spontaneous last season after one penalty, uh, I think this gives a little bit of a, a window into maybe why Green Bay was willing to move on from him so quickly because some very disturbing and troubling tweets uh, from Jermaine Whitehead, which now the Browns are commenting on, and it's just a nightmare situation. And we listen, we see a lot of really bad football. Uh, we've seen what the Browns have put on the field so far this year. The Jets lost to a team that's legitimately trying to lose in the Dolphins today. I'm being somewhat facetious there, but uh, you know there's a lot of really bad football being played. And I think you even look at some of the, the really good teams around the league. Uh, you know We still don't know what the Patriots are because they haven't played a tough schedule. Uh, the Bears are massively struggling. They lost today. The Lions lost today. The Vikings lost today. The NFC North went 0-4. This is not an easy league to navigate, and sometimes games like this happen. And uh, you know the Packers still find themselves at 7-2 and and on top of the division, a game and a half lead over the Vikings, and there's only seven regular season games left. 
So they're in a great spot. They're in the number three seed in the NFC at the moment. Uh, if the playoffs were to start today, they would play the Vikings at home to kick off uh, Wild Card Weekend. So a lot of football yet to be played, but but Green Bay's still in a pretty darn good spot with where they sit at the moment. Yeah. And uh, so looking ahead to Carolina, we alluded to this a little bit earlier, Andy, um, and you did hit on the fact that the NFC North did go 0-4 today. That's that's good for the Packers, obviously. Yep. It's really like this. It's not like this week didn't happen. I was joking when I said I said that on Twitter, but kind of like, you know, the Packers are not in any different standing in the NFC North than they were 24 hours ago. Uh, but looking ahead to the Carolina Panthers, um, I think uh, our guy Ross – talked about this, uh, at least I saw this, and this should be a game that with Kyle Allen, you, know, you talk about sacks and turnovers, this should be a game he gives you some of those, but, you know, Christian McCaffrey is playing some of the best football in the National Football League right now. That is what you highlight, underline, exclamation point, is you must stop 22. Uh, thoughts, thoughts on the Panthers coming to Green Bay next week. Yeah, it's, it's low-hanging fruit, but it's the number one thing starred on, on my list here as we talk just briefly about Carolina. Stopping Christian McCaffrey is absolutely key. It's Like I said, it's it's obvious. It's, it's punch-you-in-the-face obvious. Uh, but he is playing such, such amazing football. I... I compare him at the moment, what he can do right now for that that Panthers offense, uh, to prime uh, Los Angeles Rams or St. Louis Rams, whatever Rams they were at the time, Marshall Falk. I don't know if that is too high a praise or not high enough praise, to be honest, because I actually think he might be running it at a higher level, and he's doing a lot of the same things out of the passing game that Marshall Falk could do at that time. Uh, that's that's the type of player that I see him at right, as right now, and I don't know who Green Bay has on the roster to necessarily stop that type of player, and there are a lot of running lanes and a lot of gaps in that run defense, so that is the that's got to be the focal point. Uh, his his picture should be plastered on every defensive player's uh, locker this week because he is the player that they unequivocally need to stop if they want to win this game. Yeah, and it's one of those things too where. You really, it might truly be one of those games where you just go into it and know that he's going to get his numbers, but what, how can you stop that off the other guys on that offense and kind of just know that Christian McCaffrey is going to do his thing because he's been highlighted for everybody, you know, yep. and he's just he's just doing his thing. So um, it, it'll be it will be interesting, and we say all that and watch them come out next week and have a stellar performance and limit him to, like, 10 yards right. I mean, like we were talking about, the NFL is such a week-to-week, such a hard, weird league. You just really never know, Um, especially coming off of this loss. You know, if the Packers don't come out motivated next week, I'm going to be concerned (laughs) then because they should have plenty of motivation after this week. Yeah, and I think the big thing right now is to hopefully get that win and get to the bye week because I do think this team needs some rest. I, you know, they've been relatively healthy so far, which has been nice. Uh, but uh, I think that they just need to, to recharge the batteries just a little bit. A lot of the other teams in the league have already had that. 
And uh, I do think if they could get that home win and then get the bye to recharge before San Francisco and recharge before that that last stretch of the season before the playoffs, that could really do them a lot of good. And like I said, if you can go into that bye week uh, with a win, the last thing that you want is two losses before the bye and then needing to go on the road to San Francisco. So uh, not, a, not a make or break game by any stretch of the imagination. They can lose to the Panthers and be just fine. But after such an incredible start to the season, losing two in a row and going into a bye and then into San Francisco, Francisco would be a really disappointing way uh, to end that pre-buy part of the season. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, fi- final thoughts, Andy, before we we get out of here. Well, you know, uh, you know, Zadarius Smith did the the grave digger sack celebration today. We are officially filling that grave with this game. We are burying it. It is done. It is dead. We're not talking about it anymore. Although you and Ross, I'm sure, will talk about it a little bit tomorrow. But we're not talking about it anymore. We're moving on, and uh, it's it's on to Carolina. Yeah, that, that's, I'm with you. That's this is a burn the tape type game. One thing that I do want to point out is, you know, I I feel like I've I've praised Matt Lafleur enough on this podcast and I am I'm a big Matt LaFleur guy really do believe in him but if this uh, I can't help but let my mind go to what if this team was still coached by uh, Mike McCarthy and they came out with a performance like this and how Twitter what we would I mean we would be lighting him on fire right now and I get context is everything this is a first year coach versus a guy that's been doing it for a decade but you know, this is a big week for Matt LaFleur is, is the point I'm trying to get at. And we really are. You know, that's what's kind of fun about having a rookie head coach is you don't always know how these guys respond in these certain situations. And I've already said it once, but I'll say it again. We're, we're going to learn a lot about the Packers' first-year head coach, Matt LaFleur, this week and how he gets his team to respond um, after getting punched in the mouth, you know, repeatedly <laughs> for, like three, you said, for four quarters. And like you said earlier, that's the that's the fun part of following teams like this. How do they bounce back? How do they respond? That certainly makes it uh, a lot of fun, and that's what's going to make this next week so much fun. Packers get back uh, to playing at home uh, against a team without their legitimate starting quarterback, even though their backup's probably been a little bit better so far, uh, at least from a win-loss standpoint and a turnover standpoint, that's for sure. So it's going to be a good game. I'm excited for that game, and uh, we'll see how they respond this coming week. Uh, this has been fantastic. Thanks so much for joining me today, Jake. I wish it was under better circumstances, but I appreciate all your time yeah man i appreciate you having me on i know like we said uh kick this thing off this will be one and done for me uh so hopefully the packers can keep winning and you uh don't have to hear me on post game shows really <laughs> that's what the problem is yeah well for sure it, we won't have you on on any uh big games maybe maybe <laughs> in the preseason post game we'll, we'll get you we'll get you eased back in maybe uh in the future but no i appreciate all your time you do a fantastic job on the podcast as well as for Packer Report. So thank you as always for your wonderful insight. I know you're going to be back tomorrow with Ross. So everyone uh, come back tomorrow to check out Jake as he and Ross kind of break down this game a little bit more. Uh, Hopefully, you know, I know Ross always takes tomorrow to really break down the game in more depth. So hopefully maybe he found a couple positives and uh, we'll have a couple of those to talk about tomorrow. Um, This week, of course, we're going to be running down Packers-Panthers and every intricate detail that you can imagine, so stick around for that as well. Packers lose a tough game today but still find themselves in third place in the NFC, atop the NFC North and relatively injury-free. There's still a ton to be excited about with this team, and of course we'll discuss that tomorrow in an all-new episode of the Pack-A-Day podcast. But until next time, and as always, Go Pack Go!
Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health care provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new health care regimen, including EE system.